Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. The church in our American culture, Christians in our American culture, that's one and the same, the church or Christians in our culture, we have a terrible reputation now. We are not thought highly of at all. And it's not just people who are Christians, it's pastors. You know, pastors are like the fourth most distrusted profession now. Imagine being me. That's always fun when that comes up, you know. But, but that's, that's true for churches in general. I mean, we have a terrible reputation. And it has had a profound impact on our culture over the last few years. And you may not be aware of this, but just last year they did a study. And one of the things they found in the study is as of last year, 72% of Americans seldom or never attend church anymore. 72%. Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, Matt, but that's not our community. You know, that's big cities. That's left coast or, you know, whatever. That's, That's not us. No, no. This is us too. This is right here in our communities. As a matter of fact, when we started the church, we did our own survey, we did our own research, and we found right here in our community that the numbers are between 70 and 80% as well. Now, you are a little confused by that because it feels like every time you ask somebody, hey, do you go to church anywhere, they give you an answer, and they do. They tell you where their grandmama goes to church, and they go with her on Easter and Christmas. That's how that works. You know that, right? And I'm not knocking that. It's just kind of weird in our area. People move in from outside, and I will hear them say to me, Matt, nobody ever did this where I grew up, but as soon as I got here, I went to work the first day, and they were like, where do you go to church here? You know, it's like, it's such an odd question. So we, I know we do that around here. It's just kind of, it's different. So everybody realizes real quick, they got to have an answer to that question, right? So they come up with one. But I'm just telling you today, seven out of 10 people, maybe more than that, in our communities are not in church this morning, and they're not in church most mornings. They seldom or never come. And then the other trend that is uh, growing really fast, these numbers are moving, depending on how you look at it, in the right direction or the wrong direction really fast. But the other thing that's interesting is they found out as of last year, 30% of Americans are not affiliated with any religion. So these are not the people who say, oh yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church much. These are the people who have decided the church, Christianity, is so destructive, so damaging, or Christians are such hypocrites. I don't want to be affiliated with them. I don't want to be affiliated with any religion. I don't think religion is good for the society. I don't want to, I don't want to be associated with any of it. And so when they ask on these surveys, well, you know, which religion do you associate with? They just mark none, none, N-O-N-E, you know, none. I'm associated with none. 30%. That thing keeps growing year after year after year. Now, here's one of the things I know, and I just, I love this about our church. There are some of you in the room right now who may be getting a little nervous because you're part of that 72% who seldom or never attend church. And some of you in the room are part of this 30% who don't want to associate with any religion. And you're thinking, oh no, I picked the wrong Sunday to come because he's going to hammer me. No, I'm not going to hammer you. I don't think you're the problem at all. I think the reason the stats are what they are and the reason the data shows what it shows is because of those of us who are Christians. I think we're the problem. Part of the reason We are where we are in our American culture. Part of the reason Christians have the reputation they have is, well, we earned it. We earned it. And we deserve it. We deserve it. Because we have been so hypocritical. We have been, um, you know, we've been so difficult. We've been, in some cases, so angry towards people who don't agree 
believe or behave the way we do. We have, we have earned it. I mean, all you had to do is watch over the last three years how hypocritical we were as Christians in America because we acted like, it didn't matter if Christians were on the left or the right, we acted like whatever political party uh, we supported, if it was in power, it was going to be our savior. And if it wasn't, then the world was going to fall apart. It's like, do you even believe in God? Well, yeah, I believe in God, but I really think they're the ones who are in control, that political party. You know, it was just, it was just so hypocritical. It was terrible. And then cancel culture came along, and I got so tickled because cancel culture started getting applied to Christians, and, I, and they got all mad about it. And I was like, you don't realize you've been doing this forever? Because I grew up in the 80s, okay? I grew up in the 80s when Christians saw it was a good idea to boycott Disney, and that worked so well. It brought them straight to their knees. They barely made it, you know? It's like... You're, you know, but it was anytime Christians found somebody, an organization, a business, they disagreed with something, they were like, oh, we don't want anything to do with you. So Christians have been practicing cancel culture forever. It just got turned around on them, and then they didn't like it all of a sudden. So I get it. We've earned it. We deserve it. So if you're one of these people and, you know, you're not really a church person or, you know, you've got issues with Christianity, if I were in your shoes, I'd probably feel the same way you do. And the other thing that's contributed to this that I need to go ahead and mention, another part of the problem, is most churches, if we're being honest, most churches are designed for church people only. And so, if, if you're thinking about exploring a relationship with God or trying to figure out how, you know, knowing God could help you or is it possible to know him in a personal way, if you're trying to figure that out, you come to church, you realize, oh, this isn't for me anyway. And for all of you church people who are sitting here, I'm one, third generation preacher, right? I've been in it more than you have. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, this is not true, Matt. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a friend that you have who seldom or never attends church. And you're going to have to do some convincing to persuade them that they can be totally honest with you. But once you get to that point, I want you to ask them, well, tell me why you seldom or never come to church. And let me tell you what they're not going to say. I guarantee you they will not say, well, I just have a problem with Jesus. I I never run into anybody who has a problem with Jesus. They're going to talk about, well, I tried church once, and it was not helpful at all. It did not seem relevant. I walked in, and it felt like I just didn't belong. There are all these people, and this is the way I describe it a lot of times. It's like some of you have had this experience. Sometimes when you go to church, it feels like you're crashing somebody else's family reunion. It's just so awkward, isn't it? It's like all these people belong and I'm on the outside. It's really clear you're on the outside, you know? And in some cases, it's very obvious what you have to do to get on the inside, which is, well, you got to straighten up and behave and believe just like they do about, well, a lot of stuff. But if it's a lot of stuff and you look like them and think like them and talk like them, then you can be a part, you know, until then. You're on the outside. If you ask some of your friends, they will tell you this. They'll tell you they tried. And it was like there was insider language. They couldn't understand anything the you know, pastor was talking about. None of it made any sense. You know, everybody seemed to know what to do but them. And then this isn't the case in all the churches. But in some of the churches, the other thing that just makes them scratch their head is they're like, I walked in, it felt like I walked right back into the 1980s because everything was designed, you know, or 50s. It could be even worse. You know, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just so not relevant to me. It wasn't helpful. Clearly, it's helpful to those people and that's great but they don't feel like it's helpful to them. You know why? Because most churches are designed for church people only. They never consider somebody walking in who might believe or behave differently than them. Another way to think of it, you're wondering, what in the world is this ladder doing up here? Okay, well, hang with me. So another way to think of it is this. Most churches are like a ladder with all the bottom rungs missing. This is what it's like. This is what it feels like to somebody who 
seldom or never attends church. And they decide they're going to give it a shot and they walk in. And they look at all the people in that church and it appears, and I'll burst this bubble in a minute, but it appears like all these people up here, they got it all together. They know everything's going on. They never mention they have any problems, so clearly their life's great. And they understand the Bible, you know, and they understand all the language and the lingo and they get kind of got it all figured out. And they're down there going, well, you know, that's awesome. I'm glad you're up there. I'd love to be able to connect with God and know God personally the way you act like you do. But I'm down here. And there's no way for me to jump from down here all the way to up here. And so they come to a conclusion that, oh, wow, it'd be nice if I had a relationship with God or if I could explore what this means, but church isn't the place for me to do that. Clearly, church is just for all these church people who, by the way, in case you were wondering, are faking it because they have all kinds of problems and they don't know anything either and their their life's a mess. They just don't want to be honest enough to admit it at church. But this is what it feels like, somebody who walks in the door and decides, maybe I will try it. Just feels like there's no bottom rungs. There's nowhere for them to go. There's no step they can take. The problem with this is if church is just for church people, that means Christianity is just for church people. And if Christianity is just for church people, it means Jesus is just for church people. But when you read the accounts of his life, nothing could be further from the truth. You don't find that anywhere. Matter of fact, when you read the accounts of his life, Jesus spent very little time hanging out up here with these people. He spent all of his time down here with these people. People who were nothing like Jesus were shocked to discover they actually liked them. And maybe more shocking, Jesus liked them back. He wanted to hang out with them. They had no problem connecting with Jesus. But the church today has gotten to the point where there's just no step. It's not easy for them anymore. Now, this is not a new problem. Okay, so once Jesus you know, died and was resurrected and left this earth, you may not be aware of this, but most all of the earliest followers of Jesus who became part of the early church, they were all Jewish. Okay, that's how it started. They were primarily all Jewish. And the thing you have to understand is that while they were so excited, they'd seen a dead man walking. So they were so excited and they were all in on Jesus. They also had spent their entire lives practicing the Jewish religion of Judaism which is centered around or founded on or, you know, uh, revolves around the law of Moses or the Old Covenant. It's the stuff that's in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today, but it was their Jewish scriptures. So they practiced Judaism, which revolved entirely around a bunch of do's and don'ts, right and wrong. It was black and white, 613 different rules you had to try to follow. And the better you followed them, the closer they felt you were to God and the more they believed God loved them. So all of a sudden, you got these Jewish people who spent their whole lives practicing this, and they had all these traditions, you know, all these traditions, religious traditions. And now they start following Jesus, and they grab hold of him. But, and this is very understandable, but they couldn't let go of their traditions. It was like, yes, we're following Jesus, but what are we supposed to do with all this? We spent our whole lives following. We're not going to let go of that. Now, some of you can relate to this because... Those of you who grew up in church and been in church for years, I have these conversations all the time. You come into our church and you're here for a little bit. And what you tell me is, oh my gosh, I love what this church is about. I love the mission. I, I love how much they care about people in the community. But, and then you look at me and say, but I really miss, and you start talking about the traditions from your old church, right? And you're like, is there any way you could? And is there any way you could? And I listen, I listen, I listen. And I say, no, there's no way we could. And you're like, man, I thought, but you tried, you know, it's fine. But I get it because when you grew up one way and you were taught this is the way you do it, this is the way you do it, it's really hard to let go 
of some of those practices, even if they're not in Scripture, you just got used to them, right? It's hard to let go of that and just hold on to this. Well, this is what was happening with these early Jews. They're holding on to Jesus, but they couldn't let go of their old Judaic religion, all right? So this creates a real problem because what ends up happening is they start telling anybody who follows Jesus, well, you got to follow Jesus and you got to follow all of our rules too. And at first it was just Jewish people, so it didn't matter. But then a guy comes along named Paul who had this transformative experience. We'll talk about this another time. He went from a Jesus hater to a massive Jesus proponent after he had an encounter with Jesus alive from the dead. And Paul and his friend Barnabas, they start traveling all around the region. They start going to town after town and they would start with the Jews. They tell them about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. You know, then when they were done, this is where it got weird or different. When, when they were done, they would go talk to the non-Jewish people they called Gentiles, and they would tell them the same thing. And none of the Jews had ever considered talking to the Gentiles about this. And what was weird, what what the Jews didn't even think was possible, started happening. Non-Jewish people began embracing Jesus, experiencing God's forgiveness, and wanting to be a part of the church. And the Jewish people, this wasn't even a category for them. They're like, they, God doesn't love them. You know, no, no, no. They got to be Jewish for God to accept them. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, God's accepting them. They're fine. They don't have to be Jews. And this creates such a tension. I'm telling you, I can't overstate this. The first church there in Jerusalem, when word gets back, these Jewish people in that church get so angry over this that they put a group, a team of people together who then start following Paul and Barnabas around. As soon as they leave a town, this group would show up. Imagine this, they'd go into the church. They'd say, hey, we hear all you non-Jewish people began following Jesus. Yeah, 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 we're so excited. Well, great, but Paul didn't tell you everything. You need Jesus and you gotta become Jewish. And so they started a little bit of a rift here. And when Paul and Barnabas find out they're angry, you know, these Jewish people are angry. So it gets to the point that the leaders of the first church in Jerusalem, bring everybody together back in Jerusalem to have a meeting where they're going to hash this out and they're going to decide which group is right. And there's a guy by the name of Luke who interviewed witnesses, who investigated things on his own, who's a medical doctor, and he wrote an account of the early church, of what happened in the early church. And Luke happened to be in this meeting and he tells us exactly what happened. Here's how he starts it. He says, when they, talking about Paul and Barnabas, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles, and just make sure we're all on the same page, the apostles were the men who had spent three years with Jesus by his side 24-7. Peter, Andrew, Thomas, you know, Nathaniel, those guys. They were referred to as apostles, and some of them, some of them have already been martyred by this point. It's about 15 years after the resurrection. Some of them have already been martyred for their faith. Uh, others of them are in different, living in different places, but the ones who are still in Jerusalem, they're in the meeting. And the elders, now the elders were just other people who had risen to leadership in that first church. And there was one that was very famous, we're going to talk about in a minute. So you got the people who are part of the church, then you got the apostles, then you got the elders. They're all sitting there. And Luke goes on to tell us that Paul and Barnabas reported everything that God had done through them to this group of people. So they're telling them, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't think God would accept or forgive non-Jewish people, but he is by the hundreds and now by the thousands. I mean, it was a big movement. And this is more than the Jewish people in the room can handle. And so Luke tells us this interesting thing happens next. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up in the meeting. Now, here's why this is so interesting. 
The Pharisees were the group of people who were most responsible for having Jesus crucified. And now we're 15 years later, and some of the very people who wanted to have Jesus killed are actually now part of the church, and they're following Jesus. How do you explain that? I think this is a really compelling piece of evidence for why you can trust the resurrection actually happened. Because there is no other explanation for why these Pharisees, who, by the way, they were the ones who were to protect the Jewish religion. They were the ones who were to make sure everybody knew how to follow the law of Moses, the old covenant. I mean, this was their baby. This was their thing. And now all of a sudden they're following Jesus. There is no other explanation for that other than they had him killed. And then a few days later, they saw him alive and they went, "Uh uh-oh, we picked the wrong team, you know? So they switched sides because they realized we blew, he actually was who he claimed to be. So now you've got these people who had Jesus killed who are a part of the early church following Jesus. But you can understand this. They can't let go of their Jewish religion of all the laws because, again, it's their job to protect that. So they're, they're trying to hold on to both. And so they look at Paul and Barnabas and the leaders of this early church, and here's what they told them in the meeting. They said the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, must, this isn't an option, must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This is what they were traveling from town to town telling people. Now imagine, put yourself in in the shoes of these people. Imagine that all of us had just begun following Jesus, that Paul and Barnabas had been here and told us, oh yeah, yeah, It's, it's simple gift of grace that God's given us. Just put your trust in Jesus, start following him. He'll forgive you, he'll make you a part of God's family forever. You don't have to be Jewish, it's all good. Imagine that you had started doing that and you were all excited about that. And then next thing you know, like a group of people from Jerusalem show up and they feel really official and they stand up and they tell you, no, 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 what Paul told you was true, but he didn't tell you everything. You, you've also got to become Jewish and you got to follow our law. And there are a lot of steps to this, but gentlemen, we're going to go ahead and start with the first step. There's a medical tent in the parking lot. So if you just exit, you know, it's like, nope, we'll just let the church be all women. We're not, you know, it, this is what it felt like back then. This is how big a deal it was. Basically, and they didn't realize this, but they were stripping all the bottom rungs off the ladder, adding in requirements and standards and stipulations Jesus had never added to follow him. They were making it difficult to follow God. So they, you know, they make their case for why it ought to be this way. And then in the meeting, you can read this for yourself, but in the meeting, Peter stands up. Now you can imagine Peter had some clout, right? So Peter stands up, he's Jewish. He stands up and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I spent three years with Jesus. I heard everything that he taught. And first of all, Jesus never taught anybody had to follow the Jewish law to follow him. Matter of fact, Peter says, no, no, no. When Jesus showed up, he said he was taking that standard that none of us could meet because Peter's like, hey, you Jewish people, could y'all be... Have y'all ever lived up to our own laws? No, we haven't. Peter's like, no, me either. So why would we expect somebody else to meet a standard that we can't even meet? Jesus was the only one who could meet it. He showed up. He met it. He landed the plane. He finished the homework assignment. He said, it is finished. He put an end to our old laws. There's a whole new, brand new way to have a relationship with God now. So Peter says, we shouldn't be, you know, putting this burden on them, a burden we can't even carry. So he gets done, and Peter sits down, and then James stands up. Now, this is not James like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, if you grew up in church. That James had already been martyred for his faith at this point. This is James, the brother of Jesus. 
And this is just my personal opinion. I believe this James is the most compelling piece of evidence for why you can trust the resurrection happened. Let me explain. James did not become a follower of Jesus as his God, as his savior, as his leader until after the resurrection. And this makes perfect sense. As I've asked before, what would it take for your brother or sister to convince you they were God? Uh, for mine, nothing short of a resurrection. That's what it's going to take, right? So James was 100% skeptical. As a matter of fact, you can go read this on your own. There was a moment when Jesus was, you know, during Jesus' ministry, when he was teaching, and James and his other uh, brothers went with Mary, their mother, and they went to listen to Jesus and hear what he had to say. <laughs> and as Jesus is teaching, James looks over at Mary and says, Mom, he's gone crazy. I don't know who he thinks he is, but he is nuts. We got to get him and take him back home because he is, I'm kind of exaggerating here a little, but it was like, we think he's lost his mind. We think he's lost his mind. And I don't know how the conversation went that day, but I imagine Mary looked back and said, well, James, I know he sounds a little outlandish claiming he's God, but I did have that virgin birth thing with him. And you know, the angel came and James is like, oh yeah, mom, you can let that go. We're not buying that story anymore. We know you and dad. Anyway, so wouldn't that be what you thought, right? But after James watches his brother crucified on a Roman cross, then a few days later, he's looking him in the eye and James goes, all right, I'm in. Not just, hey, I'm going to follow you because you're my brother. No, no, no. I'm following you as my savior and my leader and my Lord, my king. Can you imagine saying that to your brother? James did because he'd seen something that was so compelling he had to follow. You know, I'm sure he went back to Mary and was like, okay, mom, I'm buying your story now. You know, if a resurrection can happen, all the rest can happen. So this James is now definitely a leader in the early church. And it appears he may be the leader with the one who has the power to make the final decision and the ultimate verdict. Because after the Pharisees make their case, after Peter makes his case, then James stands up and the whole room gets silent. And James says, all right, it is my judgment, therefore. I'm making the final decision here. It's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. My brother made it easy for everybody. My brother didn't add any stipulations, didn't raise the standard. My brother said everybody's invited, everybody's included, everybody gets a relationship with God the same way. It's by grace through trust in him. So who are we to make it complicated? And to the credit of those Jewish people in the room that day, they said, okay, we won't. And they began to welcome with open arms non-Jewish people into the church. But if you know anything about church history, you know it wasn't 100 years later and the church started making it complicated again. And every generation in their own way, it feels like, has ripped the bottom rungs out of the ladder and just made it more difficult for people to connect with God than it should be, than he intended for it to be. So when a small group of seven of us started this church, this is actually why we started it. We started it with a passion to figure out how to create a place that wasn't just for people way up here, but that was a place 
for everybody. We decided that we were willing to give our lives to do whatever it took to try to create a kind of church where all these bottom rungs on the ladder, none of them were missing. We thought, you know what? We, we should be able to create a kind of place where everybody feels welcome, where everybody feels apart. Because, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to get that in today. Let's be honest. It came, went in first service, guys. I'm just telling you. We're going to try it that way. There we go. Because here's the deal. Hey, thank you very much. This is hard to do live. But listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We know the church isn't just for church people. The church is for everybody. Jesus isn't just for people who are religious. I mean, good grief. He was never just for people who are religious. He's for all people. And if we were honest, I think we would all admit, every one of us in this room and everybody that we know, we all have moments where we just wish we knew we could be forgiven because we screw something up so bad, we're like, I'm never going to get a second chance. And if we had confidence that there was a God in heaven who would give us a second chance, it would change everything for us. And all of us go through seasons in our lives when, when things are so hard and so painful, we just wish we knew God was with us. And can you imagine how painful it is to walk into a church looking for that and none of these wrongs be there? And you walk out going, those people, good for them, they've got their act together, but that's not going to help me. So we just continue to try to be a place that puts all the bottom rungs on the ladder so that somebody who knows nothing about the Bible could walk in on a day like today and they couldn't find Acts in their Bible for anything. As a matter of fact, they just discovered it wasn't spelled A-X. That can confuse some people if you wondered. But they could walk out and understand what we were talking about and how it intersected with their life. And we thought, you know what, we should be able to create a place where they can bring their kids and those kids can go home and they understand it at their level well enough that they can go home and tell mom and dad what they learned. They'll make sense to them. That they can start to gain confidence that God really is for them and he's with them and he wants to be their friend. That we ought to be able to create a place where people who have questions, people who have doubts, people who are skeptical can go into our starting point environment and discover, oh my gosh, they have put a bunch of people like me in this room and it is perfectly fine to express all my doubts and skepticism and my questions. They don't mind at all. They're willing to have an honest conversation about it. I don't know, just to be honest, I don't know why every church doesn't want to be like this. But I will tell you, part of the reason is because you have to fight for this. Amen. Because the gravitational pull of your heart and mind is to make it all about us. So, if you're somebody who falls into that category of seldom or never comes to church, or you're not sure you want to associate with any religion, I, I totally get it. The thing I just hope you understand is that we have created and designed this place with you in mind. 
And we're doing our very best. We're not perfect, but we're doing our very best to keep all the bottom rungs on the ladder. So you, even if you never believe like us, you can feel like you can belong here and you can ask questions and you can explore at your own pace and you can try to figure it out. And if we get it wrong, listen, I want you to shoot me an email. I want you to catch me in the suite. I want you to tell me, hey, this is making it hard for me because we'll change it. We'll change it. If you're a Christian and you've been in church your whole life and you come tell me that, I'll smile and say, thanks for the information. But if you're not a Christian, we'll change it. Because this is what matters most. It's what matters most. So if you're one of those people, I just hope that's how you feel when you come here. And I hope you know you can be here as long as you want to be here and explore as much as you want to explore and ask all the questions you want to ask. Because we don't want anything for you, or from you, excuse me. We want something for you. We want you to be able to experience for yourself what it means to have a relationship with God. Now, before we wrap up, let me talk to all of us who consider Journey our home. This is just for you, okay? So if you say, hey, Journey's my place, it's my church, this is only for you. But listen, whether or not the bottom rungs stay on the ladder, it's actually up to you. It is. And I've got 17 years of doing this. I've got 17 years of data that shows. There's some simple things you can do, and when you do them, and when I do them, it keeps the bottom rungs on the ladder, and when we refuse to do them, it makes it more difficult for people to turn to God. So if you consider this your church home, the thing I want you to know is we don't ask a lot. It's four things. But we really mean these four things because we've seen the difference they can make. The first thing I want to ask you to do is to invite. Because one invitation, we have seen this happen over and over. One invitation can change everything for somebody's future. And God's put some people in your life. I don't know who they are. And they're people who wouldn't listen to me even if I did, but they listen to you. And if you just look at them, and this is a great season to do that. If you just look at them and say, you know what? I'd love for you to come sit with me sometime, or if you're ever interested, you ought to come check it out. I'm I'm happy to save you a seat. You would be amazed at how often God will use that to help somebody start right here, walk in the door and realize, oh, wait a minute, there's a place for me here. I can belong here. So as we lead up to our Christmas services, just pay attention. It may be a family member, it may be a friend, or it may be in a simple interaction you have with a cashier or a waiter or, you know, a delivery man. You're seeing the delivery man a lot these days, aren't you? Whoever it is, you know, it may be a simple interaction you have. We can make a simple invitation that would change everything for them. Um, The second thing is more personal. So I'm going to start getting in your business a little bit. I'm warning you. Because the second thing is, I'm going to ask you to serve. As long as you're here and you call this your church home, I'm never going to stop asking you to give a little bit of time to serve. And I'll tell you why. Because all the bottom rungs on this ladder need to be staffed with volunteers, with people who care enough about the folks walking in this door that you're willing to do your little part to express God's love and grace to them. That you're willing to serve them, no strings attached. So I want to ask you, if you're not involved here, to get involved here. To get involved here. Do not just be a consumer. Be a contributor. And there's a really easy way for you to do that. You scan the QR code, you click Explore Serving. Or if you can't figure out a QR code, just come to the suite, okay? 
And you can tell them, hey, I'm interested in serving. <clears throat> let me tell you, I'll just to be fully transparent, let me tell you where we are, because I know you're going to want to fix this. One of the problems that we're running into right now is we are growing so fast that in our preschool and our elementary environments, we can't keep enough volunteers, and we have a lot, but we can't keep enough volunteers to keep up. And so you may not be aware of this, but we have been on the verge several times and had to do it a few times of closing rooms because we just don't have enough volunteers to serve all the kids. So we've got volunteer opportunities everywhere. There are needs everywhere. We'd love for you to serve wherever, but some of you would be amazing with preschoolers or you'd be amazing with elementary kids, and we need you to volunteer. As a matter of fact, in two weeks, they're having their huge happy birthday Jesus party on the 18th, and they're already scared they're going to have to turn some kids away because they don't have enough volunteers. So scan a QR code, stop by the suite, say, hey, I'd be interested in helping. We'll get you through the background check and the training process in the next couple of weeks. You can help us on the 18th if you're going to be here. But we don't want to be the place that turns folks away simply because we don't have enough people to take care of them. And I know that's a good problem to have because we're growing so fast. But listen, some of you need to step up. Some of you need to serve, whether it's behind the scenes or band or production or guest services, you know, wherever it may be. But we need you. And if you don't care, get in preschool, get in elementary. It will be different than any serving experience you have ever had. And I promise you, you will love it or you can change and do something else. But we need you to serve. And while I'm getting in your business, I know you're like, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. I, no, no, no. You're, you make time for the things that are important to you. So if this isn't important to you, just ignore what I'm saying. Otherwise, get involved. Get involved. Because somebody did an amazing job of serving you when you walked in the door for the first time here. And the people who are going to walk in the doors over the next few months, they deserve that and they need that from you. And while I'm meddling and making everybody upset, the third thing I'm going to ask you to do is give here. So it just went from bad to worse, didn't it? I'm going to, if you're not, and a lot of you do this, a lot of you invite, you serve, you give, thank you so much. But if you're not giving here, you know, it takes two things to reach people. It's real simple. We would be able to make a bigger impact in our communities and help more people connect with God's love and grace if we had two things. People and money. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. So if you call this your church home, why wouldn't you want to help put the bottom rungs on the ladder and give here regularly? I mean, we made it simple. You can set it up in 20 seconds and have it recurring and it's done. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So if you've never, ever given here, I just want to invite you to get a plan. I'm not talking about sporadic. I mean, you guys are awesome when we do something like the four offering. You're amazing for that. I'm talking about week in and week out as we're trying to serve the people in our communities. Just start giving something regularly. If you do give regularly here, then I want to ask you to consider switching from just, oh, I just give this amount and you know, whatever, it's sounding good to actually picking a percentage of your income, and this is more for you than it is for us, but pick a percentage of your income that you're going to give and get consistent giving a percentage of your income because it will change your heart for the better when you start doing that and your generosity grows. Now, some of you do that, but you haven't changed your percentage in forever. And so your income has continued to rise, but your percentage has stayed the same, which means it's cost you less and less and less to give it, which means your generosity has not grown. It's actually gone the opposite way. 
And I would encourage, that's just a handful of you, but I would encourage you to do what Jen and I do every year. We pray and figure out what percentage we think we need to give, and we increase our percentage as our income increases. So I'd encourage you to do that because, again, we've seen this. Your generosity will change somebody's eternity. And I've told you this. I told you this not too long, a couple weeks ago. But if you don't trust us, well, find a church that you do trust and then give there, okay? Just attend there. Don't ever go to a church you don't trust. But good grief. I mean, we've got a board and a stewardship team. It's whatever. We've got so many checks and balances in place. You can see everything. You can come in and ask to see anything. So, I mean, it's not that. It's just, do you want to help put some bottom rungs on the ladder for people who are going to walk through these doors? Or did you get up here and you're just good? Just going to worry about yourself. And then the last thing we ask you to do if you're a part of our church is to connect. To make it a priority to connect with God regularly and to make it a priority to be known and connect with other people here. And as we get into the first of the year, you're going to hear us talking about some workshops we're offering. You're going to hear us talking about short-term groups. You're going to hear us talking about ways you can connect with people here. And the whole point of connect is just to help you grow spiritually because the more like Jesus you become, guess what? The more you serve, the more you give, the happier you are, the more joy you experience in your life. It following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. So if you're not doing these four things and you call this your home, you got to decide, do I want to help keep bottom rungs on the ladder here? Or do I want us to be like every other church who just rips them out and we just primarily care about what we get out of it? That's your call. I can promise you, every person who works here does those four things because we believe in it. We believe in it. And I want to invite you to as well. And listen, if you're one of those Christians that's like, no, I'm never going to do that, Matt. I'm just telling you, I'm not, I don't want you to leave here because doing this will change your life for the better. But I'm telling you, you're going to get so frustrated with me because I'm never going to take the pressure off for you to take these steps. Because I know what it will do for you. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I know what it will do for you. Jesus, he was not just for church people. He was for everybody. If we're following Jesus well, we're going to be a church, a group of people who are not just for church people. We're going to make it easy for everybody to get to know him. And I want to invite you to help us as we move into this new year be that kind of church for the next group of people. Somebody did this for you. And the new people who are going to walk through our doors deserve for us to do it for them. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for meeting the standard we couldn't meet, meet and then lowering the bar so low that any of us could have a relationship with you because, man, where would we be if you hadn't have done that? But don't let those of us who follow you turn right around and make it more difficult for people to connect with you. Now that we're in, now that we're experiencing the benefits, now that we enjoy our relationship with you, don't let us rip the bottom rungs out of the ladder here. Help us to be a church of people, a group of people, a church who always fights to keep the bottom rungs on for the next people who walk through our doors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with friends. 
For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.